The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. More than 40% of people in their 40s and 50s have both an aging parent and a child under the age of 21. Caring for people in multiple generations demands time, love, attention, and more. Welcome to Caught Between Generations with your host, Dr. Merrill Griff. Our program will bring you the information you need as a family caregiver for everyone for whom you care. With guest experts and resources to help you keep sane and organized. Now, here is Dr. Merrill Griff. Hi, welcome to Caught Between Generations. This is Dr. Merrill and I'm here with my wonderful co-host, Deanna Albrecht. Hey, how are you today? I'm doing okay. How are you? I'm doing okay as well. So I I want you to hear how calm we sound. (laughs) (laughs) We are so calm. Right. And it is not because we're doing drugs or now or drinking anything but... Or eating ice cream or or cookies. Oh, I would be calmer if I was eating ice cream or eating cookies. But you're eating a salad and I'm eating fruit. (laughs) (laughs) We are so boring. However, that does bring us uh, to our topic for today. All right, and the, and and the reason I started to talk about how calm we are is because um, we hope that our guest that was supposed to be on the show today um, is okay, Susanna Meadows, and we're hoping she's fine and nothing has, God forbid, happened to her or any member of her family. Um, but she has not appeared yet, so we're she just, hasn't called in yet. She hasn't called in yet. She has not. Yes, but she's probably going to be calling in while we're talking. I think so. Yeah. Okay. So we can relax. Everybody else can relax. We're just going to have a conversation while we wait. About my favorite topic, food. (laughs) (laughs) Well, actually not about food. So Susanna's book is called The Other Side of Impossible, Ordinary People Who Faced Daunting Medical Challenges and Refused to Give Up. And and the reason I'm talking about food is we're going to talk about arthritis and diabetes and MS and ADHD um, and how some people have, through a change in diet and uh, as an alternative treatment, um, have actually found they've either gotten better or the disease has gone away. Now, we're not physicians. Diana's not a doctor. I'm not a doctor. We can't give you medical advice. And in no way would I, we would ever want this to be interpreted um, as medical advice. Absolutely. However, all right, um, these are stories that we want to tell you. And in fact, I'm going to tell you a personal story um, today about my husband and the impact of food on diabetes. All right. But it's something I think to listen to. And it's one of those things about my grandmother used to say, it couldn't hurt. All right. So if you change your diet and you change how you're eating, it's like I said to a friend of mine recently who has arthritis, I said, you need to cut the dairy out of your diet. All right. And she said, oh, I don't know. And I said, her name is Diana. I said, Diana, could it hurt? I mean, what would be the difference? All right. There's some medical evidence that 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 dairy impacts arthritis negatively. So stop the dairy. All right, um, and see if it works. I'm not telling you not to take your medication or not to see your doctor or not have treatment. Just one, I'm not telling you to have a major surgery. Just stop the dairy. It's one of those things that's simple to do, and maybe it'll make a difference. All right. Um, so uh, we're going to go um, ahead and we're going to talk about. A variety of things uh, and a variety of, of disorders and you know you know talk about you know how food really impacts this so 
I'll talk about how Susanna really um, started this, and I'll say this for her. Her son was diagnosed with juvenile idiopathic arthritis, um, and that kind of began her personal journey to uh, writing this book. And what she really did was she collected a number of stories from people who had a variety of uh, diseases. Uh, and the impact of food, which is why Deanna so proudly told you that she was eating a piece of fruit and I was eating a salad today. Of course, what she didn't tell you is, you know, later on today, we're going across the hall where it's one of our colleagues' birthdays and we'll be eating other things. Oh, that yeah. she didn't bother to tell you. But, but yeah. You know what, as you were saying, that was really funny is as I was preparing for the show and preparing to come in, I did a little research on Susanna myself. And I was preparing a snack for my son who's going to be coming home from school. And I was looking at the different things that we have on our counter. You know, we have some cookies, we have some granola bars, um, and we have an apple. And so, you know, as I listened to her, because I listened to one of the videos that she had online, and I thought, you know, I probably should be giving him some fruit rather than, and myself some fruit rather than the granola bars or the cookies, because I think, um, she found a lot of really great information and transformations in her book and her stories and the stories that she researched. And so it just, it's kind of funny how when you hear that somebody really did find some answers and that there's um, some real change taking place in the lives of people by, by doing something different that, you know, just that little spark made me choose fruit over cookies. <laughs> Right, but you could have done a granola bar, right? I, you're right, I could have. But I think um, I think I thought maybe the fruit was the better choice to get that homework done later today. Yeah, well, to, okay. to provide some energy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. So I told you I was going to tell you a um, personal story, um, and I'm going to do that. So um, my... Um, and I can do this because I have my husband's permission to share this. So my husband has um, diabetes, type 2 mm-hmm. diabetes. Um, and he was getting worse and worse. Um, and he eventually went to the endocrinologist, his diabetic doctor, who said to him, um, well, you know, I think what we ought to do is put you on an insulin pump. Ah, mm-hmm. But Suzanne is Suzanne is going to join us. Oh, so actually, did she call in? Da, 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 da. I'm going to stop my story. I'll tell you suspense. the suspense. <laughs> suspense, right? Now, yeah, right. So stay there at the edge of your seats, waiting to hear what happened when he went to the went to the endocrinologist and he told him he was going to go on an insulin pump, which is a very serious issue, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, but. You'll have to wait because we're going to ask Susanna um, to join us. Hi, I'm so happy I'm here. Thank you for having me. Oh, Hi. we're we're thrilled, thrilled to have you. <laughs> Hi, Susanna. <laughs> I'm sorry, sorry about this being late. I really apologize. That's okay. That's okay. So, um, Susanna, actually, we kind of um, began in the conversation, and I kind of told the title of your book. What I did not say um, was that you've been a frequent contributor to the New York Times, and you've covered stories such as the aftermath of 9-11 and Columbine. You've been on CBS This Morning, CNN, MSBC, Fox News, um, and many, many other shows. I didn't say also that you're the mother of twin sons, but I did tell our listeners that one of your sons, one of your twins, was diagnosed with idiopathic arthritis, um, right. and that that really began your personal journey um, yeah. to the other side of impossible. So, mm-hmm. Susanna, what do you think really was the basic message of, of your book? Well, I think what I realized, um, if I could just go back a little bit, when my son got this diagnosis and and was in pain and we were told he'd struggle with it for his whole life, which is, um, you know, juvenile idiopathic arthritis causes painful swelling in the joints and fatigue and can lead to disability. And we started him on a powerful immune suppressant um, that did not do much for his arthritis and also made him feel sick. And so that was sort of the first, um, when we hit that wall, it was kind of the first moment where I thought, this 
you know, that we, we are told this is our one option, which is to medicate him and that we ha- you know, that this is our, the one thing we can do for him. And, and that I couldn't accept. I couldn't accept that we, he was going to feel sick for his life. And I also was worried about other side effects that, and other risks that come with taking these drugs. And so it was at that point that we thought, you know, we, we've got to try, we've got to, there has to be something else, <laughs> you know, that this is not acceptable to me. And so when, and, you know, I can sort of skip over the story of his recovery, but when he recovered after we had tried a kind of experimental intervention, it was that moment that I realized that, oh, there might be, there might be answers for people that that mainstream medicine doesn't know about. And so, um, and then that sort of opened up this world of, of, of hearing about these other people who were doing similar things where a woman from with MS was using a wheelchair and she came up with her own protocol and within the year she was riding a bike again. And these are, I mean, that's not an outcome that is, that's not possible as far as we know, and yet it was. And so that, that, so this book is a compilation of seven stories of people who overcame impossible odds and taken together, um, what they tell me is that when, when you are told that you've reached the end of the end of your option, you can still keep going. And so that that was the sort of I wanted people to know that <laughs> I wanted I wanted people to know that something might be possible even though they felt that it was not. So Susanna, you started out the started out as an article for the New York Times Magazine. So yeah. what, what was the initial response to the article? Well, it was um, it was a, there was a big response. It was. Um, it was the most emailed article for, you know, it was on the most emailed list for a week, the most read list for a week. And so there was a very, and then a very vigorous um, response in the comment section. And, um, but, and the, the comments were interesting. I mean, at a certain point I gave up reading them, but they went down, they were sort of divided into two camps. And there was the camp of saying, oh, you know, thank you for, for writing finally about this because we know there are things that, that can help us and but we haven't studied them well enough yet to know, but there are things outside of medicine that, that could, could possibly help. And we are, you know, so thank you for bringing attention to this. And then, then there was this other side um, that was most clearly represented by a letter that actually the Times published, a letter to the editor. And in fact, in fact, the magazine gave over the entire letters of the editor page to the response because it was so overwhelming, as they said. But so there were a couple of rheumatologists who wrote in, and they were furious that the Times ran the piece. And there, the the point of their article was there's not enough evidence um, to support um, the kind of you know to support the intervention that is talked about in this article, and. Um, and then they also went on to say, you know, we feel sorry for this child who, whose, you know, parents did not, <laughs> did not immediately help them, which was wrong. Uh, we did immediately go to the doctor and follow doctor's orders. But, um, but there was real anger there, real anger that there was, um, that, that there could be the suggestion um, of trying something when it hadn't, you know, when this was not. According to them, there wasn't evidence to support it. So what was so that um, what was amazing about that is that there actually is evidence. And there, it's not overwhelming evidence, but in the case of um, autoimmune arthritis, there are quite a you know quite a bit of uh, studies out of Scandinavia looking at diet, and there is definitely some evidence to suggest that diet can have a very positive effect on our autoimmune arthritis. So. That was also wrong, and it, it just, you know, this feeling that how dare you talk about something when um, we don't have the evidence for it. To me, I mean, I felt like if it's not harmful to try, and and for certainly I wasn't prescribing anything. You know, I was just saying, here's what we did, and these are the 
um, you know, and these are the risks. And our, and so to me, it doesn't make any sense. Like, why can't we talk about this stuff? And there was this sort of anger that it was even being discussed when these the things that we tried had to do with changing your diet primarily. And if there's a chance that that could help, I my personal feeling was, well, then I have to share this information. And that was the motivating factor for writing the piece and for writing the book, which was, you're not going to hear about this from your doctor. And so I have an obligation to get that information out. But there are those who don't want it out (laughs) or who are not comfortable with it. Oh, I think we have so many questions related to this. So, Susanna, (laughs) because you have a journalism background, I imagine that you did a lot of research before before you wrote the article and you were actually looking for uh, different treatment options for your son. And so how did you go about researching that? Because I think today we look online and it can be overwhelming, the amount of information right. online. And that we, we feel right. like, you know, everybody's telling us that we should try this kind of diet or eat this kind of food and it'll do this right. thing for us. And so how did you go yeah, about that? I think, it's, I think it's a good point you raise because um, uh, it's, it's very overwhelming and it's very hard to get good information. And that's, that's why it's great to have, I mean, that's, when you're when you're dealing with something like a tough illness, I mean, it's wonderful to have somebody help you. I mean, that's what doctors are for. I mean, you 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 want that guidance, and it and there's a lot of peace to be had, you know, knowing you're seeing a good doctor who can guide you through this. And that's why the system is is what it is. But uh, so to leave that and kind of venture off on your own um, is not pleasant, and it's. It's really scary and overwhelming, but if because we had heard, and I actually did not do a lot of initial research. I just had full faith in the doctor we were seeing. I think he's an excellent doctor. We continue to see him for checkups. Um, so the doctor that you I were just, seeing, I'm sorry, I interrupted. I was wondering, the doctor yeah. that you were seeing, was this your reg- a regular doctor? This was not a holistic. I'm thinking there's a difference between holistic oh, doctors yeah, yeah. and so, then... Yeah, no, he's, he's a very mainstream, he's at NYU, mainstream pediatric rheumatologist, and we still see okay. him for checkups. And I, this is interesting, I, I, when we were going through this and I and was feeling like I gotta, I gotta look elsewhere, like there, I've gotta keep looking for other answers because I don't like the answer of this powerful medication for life. I don't, I, I, you know, I want to see if there's something else we can try. And I actually did a lot of research trying to find, and this is amazing, it wasn't that long ago, but this is going back six years. And in New York City, I could not find um, an integrative, I wanted to see what an integrative doctor would say, and I could not find somebody. There was a there was somebody that I contacted who was at um, Beth Israel, and he said, you know, I don't know enough about juvenile idiopathic arthritis really to be able to help you. And so there were not a lot of options. We were just really on our own. And I, it would have been wonderful to find somebody. Um, mm-hmm. And but so, and, and I, the research I did was reaching out to fellow journalists, but journalists um, are very by the book. And health journalists are very by the book. And so the information I got from them was very, you know, in line with what we were hearing from our doctor because that was where the evidence was and most of the evidence was. And so we, um, we just got lucky. We heard about, you know, it was just through my sister, it was my sister who said, you know, uh, my husband, who was her husband's sister's friend, had faced the same illness with her son. And she had, and it was, so it was my sister who said, look, I can put you in touch with this woman because she, her son had the same diagnosis and they tried changing his diet and he got better. And I initially dismissed it because I thought, well, that doesn't, you know, our doctor didn't say anything about it, so it can't be a good option and I just sort of it took getting to a place of being desperate and feeling like I had to find something else before I could even have an open open mind to an intervention that was outside of our doctor's expertise and so once that happened and I ended up talking to this woman she said here's what we did and 
we followed what she did. Um, but it was a process. I mean, it definitely took, I, I, I really think it was, it took getting desperate before I could look beyond, um, what, you know, the usual protocol. Did Susanna, did you decide that you were going to, let's say, um, try the diet for a certain amount of time, and if it didn't work, then you would revert back to the medication they were recommending? Or how did you how, how did you plan this? What what if yeah, it had so not we, worked? So when you, we initially, so after I spoke to the woman, her name is Shar Walker, and and this other mother who'd had luck with her own son. After I spoke to her, and she and she told us what she did, we went to our doctor. We went to our son's doctor and we said, we want to try this. And he said, um, I'm okay with your trying it as long as you keep your son on the medication while you do it. Because you don't know if this diet thing is going to work. And if you take him off medication, you're risking his disability and, you know, and worse. And so we said, so we said, okay, we didn't want to take risks. And so we said, all right, we will try it in addition to the medication that he is currently on. What we, what he said at that time was, you know, the medication is not doing much for him. We need to, we need to raise the dose. And that's where we sort of said, okay, can we have six weeks um, before we raise the dose? And so six weeks to give this, this experiment a try and we'll keep him on his current dose. And is that are we taking any big risks by not raising his medication right away? And he said, "No, I'm comfortable with that." So, so we kept him on the dose that wasn't doing that much for him, and and then tried the the food intervention on top of that. And then it was because six weeks was the amount of time that we were told um, by the mom that this this thing might work. And so. As those six weeks are going by, Shepard was not getting better, and we were thinking, what are we doing? And we, my husband and I were fighting about it. He was saying, this is crazy. We should be we should be raising his dose now. And I said, please just give me six weeks. And it was this horrible time because you, we don't know if, you know, you never know if, if the diet intervention is going to have an effect. And so... Anyway, we just got lucky and then it, because it was, in fact, six weeks to the day that our son got out of bed by himself, which he hadn't been able to do in months, and said, my knees don't hurt anymore, and ran off, um, which, you know, he just hadn't, he had been moving like an old man, um, and then to see him transform was just, you know, stunning. And then over the course of the next couple months, all of the arthritis left his body. He had it all over the place, and it left completely. And and then what we were able to do then was then take him off the medication, and then he was fine. And so there were so we were never expected to be able to take him off medication, uh, and then we were able to do it and with no um, problem at all. And it's now been six years. And so I think that the fact to me, I mean we tried a couple of things at the same time. And so it's, it's impossible to say, oh yes, taking certain things out of his diet w- was the thing that made him better. I mean, we, we just can't say that. I believe it was <laughs> uh, because he's been fine and he hasn't, he didn't need to, you know, he was able to come off the medication, but um, it is impossible to say um, what it was. We've been talking to Susanna Meadows, who is the author of The Other Side of Impossible, Ordinary People Who Face Daunting Medical Challenges and Refuse to Give Up. Well, when we return, we're going to delve a little bit more with Susanna into some specific things like bacteria in the gut and MS. I'm going to finish my personal story with you about my husband, so we'll be right back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Sarah Care. We provide daytime activities and health-related care for seniors who need assistance and support during the day. It is 101 activities at home by dinner. While we pride ourselves on the quality of our care, the Sarah Care Way sees beyond your loved one's needs to understand them as a unique individual. We care for individuals with chronic diseases, memory loss, stroke, Parkinson's disease, or those who may be feeling depressed and isolated. Our program is designed to encourage seniors to remain involved in activities of their choice, customized to meet their interests and abilities. Our outings include lunch at favorite restaurants and trips to the movies, concerts, or shopping at a cost that is less than five hours of in-home care. Your family member can attend one of our centers all day and be cared for by professional nurses and activity assistants. Transportation and financial assistance is available. Call 1-800-472-5544 today to learn how Sarah Care can help or visit us on the web at sarahcare.com. That's S-A-R-A-H care.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Caught Between Generations. I am Dr. Merrill and, and I'm Deanna. And we're talking to Susanna Meadows, who is wrote The Other Side of Impossible, ordinary people who faced daunting medical challenges and refused to give up. Um, Susanna, before the break, and I really admire your um, courage um, to be able to talk about um, your situation um, in your own relationship so honestly, and and thank you for doing that, because I think it it helps a lot of people, um, because I think it's often... I see families go through this all the time um, when there's an illness or a crisis, and yet no one, not not people, are not always willing to talk about it. So, in all of the interviews that you did, was there anything that stood out that that people said to you? It was really tough. It created major problems in my relationships, but I did this, and it really helped. Uh Uh Well, I mean. Yeah, I mean, what you're saying is right, that it it was always difficult. I mean, I I just think it was so, it's just, it's such a strain, and there's no way around it. Um, There's a family I wrote about who had a child with uh, life-threatening food allergies, and the mom said, look, I'm moving across the country, um, whether you're coming or not. He couldn't leave. She said, can you get transferred across the country so we can try this experimental um, therapy for allergies with, you know, there's, there's anecdotal, it's having anecdotal success. And he said, I can't, I, I'll lose my job. <laughs> and she said, I'm going without you and moved for a year, took the kids and moved for a year across the country from Colorado to, to Massachusetts. And they um, went through, I mean, they got, I think we're close to splitting up. I mean, it was just such a rough year to be separated. And she was resentful that she was doing uh, shouldering all of this and anyway they finally they at the time there was nothing you know they were in such tough shape that she she couldn't point to something during the year that it helped them but they they did go to couples counseling eventually and discuss it um but i think things were so bad for that year that she wasn't even up for that and they didn't have neither of them I think had any bandwidth for for going to therapy Um, but therapy helped them and they're doing great today Um, and uh, you know there's another family that had a daughter with epilepsy and um, the thing that was that that the mom told me the mom kind of shouldered much of their of the daughter's care and just sort of took it on and, and took on the sort of effort to try and find an answer. And her husband said to her, look, we are in this together and you don't have to do this yourself and please lean on me. And she told me that there would be days where he would just say, just, you know, just, I've got this, just go in the next room and lie down. 
And, I mean, that to me, she was, I mean, that was, I think, wonderful for them. I mean, I think they remained, they were partners in this. But he, there's this tendency, I think, in some of us to just take over and do it ourselves. And in that story, when the husband said, no, I'm, I'm in this with you, um, I think that that made a huge difference for them. Oh, I think so. I think so. Let's talk about um, bacteria in the gut. You know? Yeah. That sounds really <laughs> appetizing. <laughs> it's my favorite topic. <laughs> it's a really serious issue, and, and most people are not aware of this. So go ahead, Susanna. I'll hold on yeah. to Susanna. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's it's an astonishing thing when you start when you start thinking about it. It can you know it can certainly it certainly sounds weird when you first hear about it, but. So we have this population of bacteria that lives in and on our body that researchers call another organ, that that is how fundamental they are, the bacteria, that's how fundamental they are to our health. And so over the last decade, there's just been um, lots of research coming out that points to bacteria as a factor in illness as well as health. So having a healthy population, most, and most of our bacteria lives in our gut. And by the way, the numbers are astonishing. The, the numbers of bacteria match the number. It's, it's, we are half bacteria and half human cells in terms of numbers. So it's the same. That's, that's the, it. The it's taking estimate. me over the edge. <laughs> What's that? Sorry. I said that just took me over the edge. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Diana's not dealing well with thinking about herself as half bacteria. Just <laughs> yeah. So it's, you can think of it as we're we're basically only half ourselves. So what 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 do these bacteria do? Well, we're still learning all that they do, but the fact is they are tied into like they are sending chemical messages all around our body. And so they're tied into all aspects of our health and especially immunity. So they are, we don't, it's so complex, we're still learning, but for example, all different kinds of issues, you know, allergies, asthma, um, MS, uh, I mean, the arthritis, the list goes on. People with those issues um, there's a high incidence of um, unhealthy gut bacteria, meaning not a very vibrant, not a very strong, and not a very diverse population. So there's an association there. And then in terms of health, those who are healthy and not dealing with any of these diseases, they, those, the, the that kind of roster of their gut bacteria is much stronger. Um, and so, and now, you know, everyone... I mean, luckily, this is actually a very hot area of interest in the research world. So there's a lot of money being invested in understanding this, which is good news for all of us. Um, mm-hmm. But so, we, now so- the trick is to figure out, okay, what you know, what do we do? How do we have the best bacteria? What bacteria do we need? How do we um, restore an unhealthy population? And then, and so now we've got to pick it apart. But um, we know enough now to know that it's fundamental to our health. So, is Susanna, I want to ask you if there's any way to to make the bacteria, you know, by your explanation, stronger. I mean, I have this, I have this visual image suddenly of these bacteria, right, in my stomach, pumping iron, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. There they are. Go ahead, guys. Lift, lift more. You can do it. <laughs> But yeah. can you, is there I mean, any way you can impact it? <laughs> yeah, so the, I wanted to know that exact answer. Um, and uh, it turns out that there are several ways that we know of where you can have a major impact on this population, one of which is antibiotics. So antibiotics um, can wipe out much of our bacteria, So, which is why you never want to take antibiotics unless you really have to. Um, and then on the flip side of that, one of the major ways um, that, well, so let me put it this way. It's, so our bacteria are living. And so as with anything living, you have to feed it. And the way to feed our bacteria is to, is to sustain it is to feed it fiber because 
our bacteria live all the way at the end in our large intestine. And if we, and fiber in our food, so in whole foods, you know, in vegetables and in seeds and in um, whole grains, those are, those are the foods, and fruits also, those are the foods rich in fiber. And so the definition of fiber is basically whatever is left of the plant uh, that makes it all the way to the large intestine. So what, your food goes through your small intestine, your body digests what it can, and then what is left, it's basically leftovers, goes to the large intestine, and it's your bacteria that then break down the fiber. And that's what that's what feeds them. So if you're not eating a high-fiber diet, you're starving your bacteria because so if you eat a lot of refined flour and sugar and your body absorbs that immediately and nothing is left to make it to where your bacteria are living. And these microbiologists at Stanford who wrote a great book called The Good Gut um, describe it as basically what's happening in America is a mass die-off. So our diet is just doesn't have enough fiber in it, and so we're just our bacteria are dying, and that is um, uh, probably what underlies all these autoimmune conditions. We don't have proof yet, but um, you know that is there's certain it's certainly a factor. Um, right. so yeah, so food, fiber, food. <laughs> That's how you can sustain it, and and a variety. You because different bacteria eat different things, and then. Uh, fermented food is great because it's rich in bacteria, so you're actually ingesting bacteria. Um, probiotics, the research is a little mixed. Um, probiotics Can you go back to the fermented food? What is that? Meryl has this look on her face. <laughs> it's like Susanna wants to eat mold. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> Give me an example of a, of a fermented food. What do you mean by oh, that? Yeah, so um, foods that are, so let me just give you examples. Um, kimchi, sauerkraut, um, sauerkraut. yogurt. Um, I don't know how to pronounce this, but kefir, K-E-F-I-R. Oh, kefir. Like oh, yeah. yeah. I see that all the time in the grocery Kefir's store. Kefir. We yeah. call it kefir. Fermented, um, yeah, it's just fermented milk, um, and so these, so the way that they, they're they're rich in bacteria. Like the bacteria has transformed something into something else. Like that's and that's the f- fermentation process. And uh, but if you eat those foods, you're injecting that healthy bacteria. Um, and uh, there are other things like raw cheeses. Um, uh, you also have a bacteria component. Um, so I'm trying to think of other examples. Um, pickles. Yeah, pickles. Oh, pickles. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that, yeah. yeah. So I'm kind of curious. It, when your son was on the diet, because I have a son who has autism, um, and, and I think about the connection with diet and autism. So yeah. when your son was on the diet, how difficult was it for your son to um to maybe accept that diet. For me, yeah. I think about, okay, I've got to get rid of all this food. What can we eat? I have no idea. Really, I yeah. feel like my son won't eat just fruits and vegetables. So how is that really doable? Yeah, that's a great question. And if you want to talk afterward, I'm happy to have a longer conversation. Because <laughs> I, no, I'm serious because I think it's, it's totally overwhelming from where you sit, I'm sure. At least it was to me. And um, mm-hmm. what I found um, it was difficult at the very beginning, and I found that over time it became easy. And I also have learned, like having gone through it, I can. I, there are certain things that um, I mean. One of the one of the tricks to it is, at first for us, was just to find good substitution. So um, I don't know how old your son is, but you know our son Shepard was three at the time, and so it was a little mm-hmm. easier to kind of get away with substitutions, whereas now, you know, if we switched the crust on his pizza, he would notice, you know. <laughs> but <laughs> at three, at three, we were able to try these, you know, gluten-free pizza crusts and put on dairy-free cheese, and he was perfectly happy. Okay. Um, so I think that's a trick, but I think the thing that you, so 
so there are certain favorite foods that I think, it, you know, that it might be hard for your child to give up, but you can, there are lots of options and ways of finding substitutions. The other thing is that, um, I mean, our diet over time um, has really, and there are ways also, you know, there are just lots of tricks I could walk you through, like ways of getting vegetables in, like, like my children turn up their nose at onions and mushrooms. And so, you know, I end up dicing onions and mushrooms and cramming them in turkey burgers. You know, there's there's things you can do um, where, because I just have become so obsessed, as you might imagine, with getting a lot of vegetables in my children. Um, And uh, so there there are certain kind of tricks. Um, But uh, I have also found that... You know, we've done, you know, we kind of make a game out of it. We talk about feeding our little friend. <laughs> and, uh, and I let, you know, I sort of have let them in on this project. And um, I, have, I have taken them into the kitchen with me and, and had them help out. And um, we talk about getting five different colors of plants a day and, you know, how many of like, Count the different colors we've had because this is a, a way to get a variety, you know, of of, of vitamins. And uh, so there are there are lots of different. I know it seems overwhelming, but um, if you're there, also I don't know. I'm trying to tell you. I mean, I think um, I do. I know it can be really hard to feed certain vegetables to children, um, but one thing here's this is the last and I'll shut up but the one other thing that we've tried in our family is um, a bite of something every night for two weeks because there's actually some science that suggests that if you have something for a stretch of two weeks you'll begin to tolerate it so we no one in our family liked beets so we thought let's just so I said that we're just going to do an experiment here and beets? so we beets b-e-t-s okay. you know like beets mm-hmm. so we said like let's Let's just see if this will work. And so we did it. We had beet, we had just like one bite, just like one little slice of a beet for two weeks straight. And now it's not my favorite food and it's no one's favorite food, but now we <laughs> tolerate them. Um, but so I'm happy to have a longer discussion with you about tricks that I've learned. But, um, you know, but one thing yeah. I will say that, it's, I, I know it's so hard with school-age children is this, is this obsession with the cupcakes and the birthday parties and, you know, you're left out of the celebration food when you're on a restricted diet. And I think that that's, I'm so mad that that's, I just, it kind of makes me angry that kids get left out. Um, but, but we used to go, we would go to the gluten-free bakery, you know, the night before and Shepard could pick out the cupcake he wanted and so that there was a feeling of oh he has his special thing even if it's not the thing that everyone else has um, mm-hmm. so that's one thing to think of I, I think sometimes Susanna children get left out because the adults don't know how to handle the problem um, I agree so they know that a child needs well gluten free is, is more and more easy to get um, yeah. But they, they don't really, and so sometimes what I tell, I suggest to parents is that when you're talking to other parents, just slide yourself into the conversation and say, you know, this has been overwhelming for us, but you know, it's also sometimes overwhelming when we take Shepherd to someone else's house and they're thinking about, oh my gosh, what could he possibly eat? And I right. say to them, well, you know, he could eat this, this, and that, or, you know, gee, if it's like a birthday party, I would be willing to do this or that um, and bring this or that. And then they're, like, grateful because they really don't want to exclude this child, Mm -hmm. but they just don't know what to do. They don't know how to handle it. I think that's a great point. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really great point. And I found that other parents were really um, kind about it. And I was often what the strategy you just talked about was often what I did. You know, if they had a plate, if the kids went for a plate, I would say, I'm sending, you know, a couple of bags of popcorn and, you know, and that can be the snack for everybody. Um, and uh, that's an easy way, that's an easy way around it. Um, and I will just say, I just want to make the point, you know, there is, there is some research that suggests that changing diets, taking certain foods out of a diet of a child with autism can 
have an effect. You know, not maybe not with everybody and maybe not all the way, but that some kids really seem to have luck with that. And so, um, so you know, you ha- so that can help also just knowing that, knowing that there really is a reason to try. I think, um, you know, knowing that there's actual research that, that some kids get better, um, you know, that can, re- that can go a long way as you're struggling with dinner, <laughs> you know. So, Susanna, I want to um, uh, talk about um, your interview and your experience with MS. Um, and um, I will say that the reason I wanted to do that is because I was exposed to um, an experiment out in California that was happening at the University of Washington and uh, with Dr. McDougall at his institute with a group of 25 young women, they were all in their 30s, um, who had MS, um, who were placed on a, a, a vegan diet. Um, uh-huh. And they were having incredible results, just incredible wow. results. Um, wow. And when I spoke to these young women, they were talking about how um, when they first came into the research program, they were just absolutely terrified because they had yeah. children. You know, they were young mothers, and they were lo- oh. they were so frightened about what was going to happen to them as the right. MS progressed and what happened to them as their children. And they were um, taking power walks, and they were just feeling great and doing great, um, all because they had switched to a vegan diet. Wow, um, so great. Yeah. So, what was your uh, experience with with interviewing um, the family that you interviewed that had the young woman who had MS? Yeah. I mean, I I remember hearing about um, this woman. Her name is Terry Wall. She's a doctor. And I heard when I heard her story, I I couldn't believe I just couldn't believe it. And I and I just immediately wanted to meet her and and. And tell her story. Um, so I, I flew out to Iowa City, where she lives, um, and she she's a doctor at the medical school at University of Iowa, where she was at the time. Um, and I just you know I followed her around for a couple of days, and um, her story, just in a nutshell, is that she was um, you know after she had been diagnosed with MS, she was going downhill pretty quickly, um, so that she went from jogging. Then within three years, she was using a wheelchair, and um, her uh, so she she was going downhill, and she thought you know she tried every drug, and nothing could help her, and um, nothing could hold hold back the decline, and she was eventually you know her diagnosis she she became she was it was determined that she had progressive MS, and once you have progressive MS, it's thought that you know, there's not much that medicine can do for you. So she was she was looking at, um, you know, in her mind, she thought, okay, I've got 10 more years and then I'm bedridden. And, and she just, she also had children at the time. They were, um, I think they were uh, maybe 9 and 11 at the time. Um, and she just could not accept that that was going to be her fate. And so it was a feeling of, okay, there are no answers for me, but I don't accept that. <laughs> and so she thought to, and that's what I found so amazing about her, is she actually thought she could come up with an answer. That, that's what was so incredible. Um, so she, every night she, she, would, she would log on to the NIH, National Institutes of Health, database of biomedical literature, and she just started poking around, thinking, you know, maybe there's something, maybe there's some experiment that my doctors have overlooked. Maybe I'll figure out some way to slow this thing down. And she, you know, she, she's doing this every night when she's exhausted. And she eventually, based on different studies that she looked at, um, she puts together this idea that um, maybe if she can, that maybe mitochondria, I mean, there's some suggestion of this in the research, that maybe the mitochondria, which are the little power centers in our cells, are responsible, are a factor in MS, that maybe malfunctioning mitochondria um, is a factor. And so she thought, okay, what can I do? Like, what is known about what can feed and support and keep mitochondria strong? And so she's, you know, she's looking into rodents and all this stuff. She eventually puts together this protocol 
um, based on what she reads, that um, if she just ingests huge amounts of nutrients, um, that she might be able to keep her mitochondria strong. I mean, it was just, it was basically pure theory. I mean, Susanna, really just, yeah. I, I, I really hate to do this to you, but um, we only have two minutes left. Um, and I want to make sure you have an opportunity um, for you to, to give your contact information. Oh, if you sure. could. Yeah. I'm so sorry about this. But no, that's yeah, okay. The, we'll have to find out the rest of the story by reading her book. Right. Please, yes. The rest Please of the do. story. Yeah, exactly. Meanwhile, I started yeah. my story. You didn't ask me for I'm the sorry. rest of my uh, story, no, Deanna. And they're going to just have to come back. Maybe next um, in two weeks. All right. No, we, not in two we, weeks. We, but we, yeah. have, we have one minute okay, left. Right. Susanna, Go ahead. give us your contact information. Okay. Yeah, I have a website, SusannaMeadows.com. Um, you can also find me on Facebook. Um, and uh, yeah, I hope that. Um, I, I really, it's so, I'm so happy to be here to talk about all this stuff with you, and thanks for bringing attention to it. Thank you, Well, Susanna. thank you, Susanna. I mean, I think the, the takeaway for today is, is you don't necessarily have to accept um, what is being told to you, um, that you can look for alternatives. You know, my husband certainly looked for an alternative for his diabetes, and he found uh-huh. it in diet, and as a physician mm-hmm. himself, um, came back and began to change the diets of many of his patients um, oh, wow. who ended up, great. ended up doing better. So um, look around, talk to people, read, yeah. uh, look on the Internet, um, and, you know, look for alternative answers or things that you're doing uh, as you're uh, going through the medical treatment that, that may help for you. As always, uh, just do one thing. We ask you to do every week, just do one thing for yourself this week. You know, as a caregiver, you're really, really important to everyone around you. Um, so it's very, very important that you take really, really good care of yourself. So take good care. Thank you for tuning in to Caught Between Generations with Dr. Mel Griff. Our program is live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We hope to see you here next week.